When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Friday, January 7th, and this is Celtics Beat here on CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. Evan Valenti with you, Adam Kaufman, taking the week off. Episode 442 featuring Forbes' Chris Granham. It's powered by betonline.ag and INSA. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50, that's 5-0, for a 50% sign-up bonus. And then go to INSA.com. Mention we sent you or go to any INSA location and mention that we sent you to get a sick T-shirt for just only a penny. Well, folks, I got to be honest with you, as we welcome in the Celtics beat, Evan Valenti here, Adam Kaufman not here. Uh, He'll be back next week. Um, Still kind of starstruck from an absolutely – I mean, I don't even know how to put it. Last week, folks, if you didn't listen to last week's show, I said the Minnesota Timberwolves game was rock bottom. Like, that is the rock bottom. All I do is wait a week, and we have found a new rock bottom for the Boston Celtics. They blow a 25-point lead for the New York Knicks, 108-105. The Knicks overcome a 25-point deficit, 20-point deficit in the third quarter. This, folks, hopefully, surely, Chris Grenham, this has to be rock bottom, right? Like, I'm looking at the schedule. I'm just trying to be proactive here. I'm looking at the schedule. The rest of the way. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a potential even bigger bottom than we have right now. And I'm looking at like a Sacramento loss at home, potentially. We all know Orlando seems to give Boston a tough time. Uh, Maybe Detroit in March. Like, Chris, this has to be rock bottom. We've hit rock bottom, right? This is it. This is it. We're done right now. This is rock bottom. Or is there an even further cliff that we have to be aware of that we have to keep in mind for this 2021-22 Boston Celtics franchise. You would really, really hope that this is rock bottom. The Celtics have been super creative in finding new rock bottoms, in finding new ways to really deliver a nice gut punch to both themselves, fan base, whatever, whoever you want to pin this toward. I mean, you're right. The schedule does get better. So ideally, this is the rock bottom that maybe you start to move up toward. I mean, I thought that was the Minnesota game. I kind of thought that was the Clippers game. And then they continue to find ways again and again to find that rock bottom. Tom Westerholm from Boston.com, after a while, he just started saying rock bottom is a flawed concept. And I kind of agree with him (laughs) at this point because the Celtics team is just finding ways again and again to find another rock bottom. But you're right. They have a lot of COVID absences behind them. The schedule gets easier. So one would hope and one would think that things will get better in January. But you would have thought they probably would have beaten a, an undermanned Clippers team, an undermanned Timberwolves team, but that's not the case. I, I was We were talking pre-show, and uh, I feel bad for Kaufman because Kaufman has the week off, and this is going to be like the juiciest show I think we've had all year. Uh, I, I, I wish this show we could have done this last night because like the passion that I think we all had last night would have burned down the entire internet. Um, now that I've had a night to kind of sleep it off, here we are Friday morning, you know, after that Knicks game, you have 108-105 to file from MSG. RJ Barrett hits the game winner uh, in a tough shot, too. It's not like Tatum didn't contest that, but, like, that's a, an absolutely brutal way to lose a basketball game. Um, 
but you have you have here like I have these two stats and, and ESPN stats put these out. Everybody reacted accordingly last night. Again, this is ESPN stats and info. The Celtics joined the Pelicans as the only teams to lose four games in which they led by at least 15 points this season. The Celtics have lost six of their last seven games that went to clutch time, which is, which is a score within five points last minutes, last five minutes of the games. The Celtics, uh, awfully, uh, terribly unclutch. Okay. Uh, and it's been a disaster a recurring theme for the past, I will say a couple of weeks, but it has been all season. And the last one, this is my favorite one, Chris. The Knicks were one and 229. When trailing by 25 plus points in a game over the past 25 seasons, the only other time uh, was a game against the Bucks on March 14th of 2004. That was a 26 point deficit. So the Celtics now number two in 229. It doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, when you are a single digit statistic in a 25 year run of bad statistics. That's really bad. And the, the, the thing that's that's awful is they get lumped in with the Pelicans, right? The Pelicans don't have Zion, right? They're kind of a mess. They have interesting players, don't get me wrong, but, like, that that franchise is kind of a disaster right now. Uh, we don't know where Zion is. Zion is somewhere, maybe rehabbing, maybe not. We don't know. Uh, but the Celtics now joining this illustrious crew of two teams that have done these two particular things. Um, again, these to me signify as rock bottom as it gets here. And when you look at last night, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start in terms of what went wrong. I mean, the, just, I guess overall, Chris, and maybe you can pinpoint a little bit more, but these second halves that Boston's having, and it's been a recurring theme throughout the entire season offensively are a mess. This team, if you watch them, you have an offense that has like zero spacing. It seems like nobody knows where to be at any time. And it just relies on Jalen or Jason or someone to bail them out. The other shot clock, sometimes Dennis Schroeder and, and Boston has this toilet bowl clogged offense that looks terrible watching it. And it reflects in the standings, reflects in the box score. I just, what is going on with these second half collapses offensively for the Celtics, Chris? I mean, right now, this is who they are. They have given us no reason to think otherwise. They have given us no reason to see them as anything different than a team that when things get tight, when things maybe, you know, they hit a little bit of adversity, they just go completely south, as Ime Udoka put it after the loss last night. I mean, they can do things very well early in a game, right? Things can be going quite well. They were up by 25 points against the Knicks. They were up by a lot against the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas. Things can go well. But when things get tight and the other team sends a punch their way, it's like this team just forgets everything that was going well early on, and they revert back to these old habits. They revert back to the isolation style, no spacing, no ball movement. There's a lot of ball stopping going on in the offense. It's really, really bad, and they're aware of it. It's not like they're actively trying to do it. It's not like... They're trying to, Jason Tatum said it last night, we're not actively trying to blow these leads. And this isn't, at one point early on in the season, it was a question of, all right, is this an effort thing? Like what are, it's not an effort thing. It's an execution thing. And it's from coaching all the way down the roster. I think everyone is responsible here. I know there's a lot of people who want to pin it only on Jalen Brown or only on Ime Odoka or whatever. Everyone I think is responsible for this because we'll get into all of it, but Ime can call better rotations. He can call plays sets down the stretch and we're gonna get to email folks you wait well he's coming we'll, up we'll get in we'll get into all of it but I think it's response the responsibility falls on everyone because coaching staff and the players on the court just are flabbergasted when there's a little bit of adversity and a team punches back they don't know how to respond in any sense and last night was a perfect example where they're down 25 the Knicks cut it to 10 and you're like oh great here we go again, right? Like we're, we're doing this again. And then the Celtics pushed it back to 19 and you're like, Oh, okay. Like maybe this is different this time. And then in the blink of an eye, it's back down to 13. You're like, Oh, this is where they're cooked. They're cooked. And it's very predictable at this point. And you might not have been happy that it was him delivering the message. You might not have been happy with the message at that point, but everything Marcus Smart said earlier in the season is spot on. And it's raining true from things he said about the way He's being utilized in the way the team down the stretch is playing in close games. So 
you know, there was a lot of criticism of Marcus Smart at that point. Everything he said was pretty spot on, and it's it's continues to ring true. Now, again, we'll go through this. It's 81-61 with 5.33 left in the third quarter. There's Crazy. a 20-point lead with 17 minutes left, okay? Normally, teams can put that away. Normally. But, again, the Celtics have made this an art form this season. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> quarter finishes, right, there's 5.33 left, right? In the next five minutes and 33 seconds, the Celtics find a way to only score three points. And the quarter finishes 84-77. And at that point, I had at, – at that point, I've, I've, be, I've become so used to this. I knew this was going to end poorly. I mean, you knew it. Whether they squeaked it out barely or they were going to lose the game, you knew this was going to be an anxious way to finish the game. It's not great. And then you go – you fast forward just a few minutes. Remember, folks, quarters aren't that long. They're only 12 minutes. Boston's up seven going into the fourth quarter. And in a minute and 13 seconds, the def- the lead for the Celtics is down to two points. They went up 20 to up two in a span of about seven, eight minutes. That's remarkably bad. I mean, remarkably bad. And it's, and it is, Chris, you said it falls on literally everybody, right? The coach, Ime's rotations are, uh, I, I would say, just a tire fire at this point. He needs to put guys out there together. That don't really make a lot of sense. And after all the data that we have throughout the entire season so far, you would think you'd be able to make a few decisions that can at least put guys in position to succeed and run some plays. You know, other guys are going to go cold. And I understand, like, offenses are streaky. They're hot and cold. Like, guys shoot, you know, really well. And guys shoot poorly. Like, Grant Williams is a great example. He's been a great three-point shooter this year. He's had a little bit of a rough spot. I think I saw... Uh, somewhere he was like one for his last 12 heading into last night. And I'm, and so it's like, you know, even good guys have poor shooting nights. Not a, it's, it's, it's not uncommon. Jason Tatum has uh, bad shooting nights, it seems like, every once in a while this year. It's, it's kind of annoying, but, hey, you live with it, right? Defensively, on the other end, they're just not connected either. And it's it just all like it's this big snowball and it goes down the hill. And then the one thing that I you pointed out this morning in your article, and I said it last night, like at some point, how does Jalen Brown only take one shot in the fourth quarter? Like, how is that possible? He had a great start. We had 12 points in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, he's going to be like this team at the end of games. And it's, and we've talked about it. I, we talked about it last week, how this team can't close games. Here we are again. They can't close a 20 point lead uh, and they lose it in seven minutes. Like this is, I, I mean, I, what's the, e- there's no easy fix here, Chris. What's the fix? What, what does Boston have to do to try and maybe rally the troops a little bit better? Yeah, there is no easy fix. It's not an overnight switch that you can flip by any means. But, I mean, last night was probably – so let me start with this. I think that people who are jumping on Ime and saying, fire Ime, he doesn't know how to coach whatever, that's a load of crap in my opinion. I, I don't think he's on the hot seat by any means. I think there is something to be said about – giving a coach time, giving a coach a long leash to kind of work with his new group. And I know we're basically halfway through the season now. This is, we're a long way into this year. It's not like we have a small sample size, but it's, there's no reason to, you know, call for Udoka's job at this point. That being said, I think the Knicks game more than any other game, any other bad loss that they've had was really an indictment on his in-game actions or lack thereof to this point. The one that really bothered me last night and has bothered me throughout this season is closing with Dennis Schroeder when Marcus Smart is healthy, when the Celtics are healthy. I get running Schroeder down the stretch in lineups when you're with Al Horford. You can run a little two-man game. Those two have shown to be pretty effective. Running pick and rolls together, that's fine. I'm fine with that. When you play Dennis Schroeder down the stretch in a game like last night, Against a big Knicks lineup, it truly makes no sense at all. Like, I really do not understand it at all. When you talk all offseason, and even at the beginning of the season, about putting the ball in Marcus Smart's hand, he's our point guard, da-da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Well, when you put Schroeder next to Marcus Smart, you turn Marcus Smart into a shooting guard, which everyone is well aware that is not the way to utilize Marcus Smart. You So you might not be happy with Marcus Smart, you know, catching and shooting above the break. What is he supposed to do when Dennis Schroeder's out there? That's what he turns into. He becomes the shooting guard. So, A, 
it completely minimizes what Marcus Smart does best for your team. And really what he's done really well for the last month. Marcus Smart has been good for the last month. But when you put Schroeder out there next to him, it minimizes a lot of that stuff. Two, this team desperately needs shooting. And when you plug a 33% three-point shooter next to Marcus Smart, who hasn't been shooting all that well, it just limits spacing. It limits the lanes for guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The spacing down the stretch was horrific last night. And you have guys like Grant Williams, who, yeah, he's been in a bit of a cold spell, but Josh Richardson, who is shooting pretty well, sitting right there on the bench. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. So in terms of last night's loss, I really start with the lineups and the rotations because it just made no sense to me at all when he just continuously left Schroeder out there. I, I, I don't get it, and I could really go all day, but I think what Schroeder does as a ball stopper and an isolation-style scorer, he's a good scorer. Like as an, it, it can be true for him to be a good scorer and for him not to be a good mix with this lineup. Both things can be true, but what he does on the court is everything this Celtics closing lineup is trying to get away from. And I just don't see the point of running him out there in closing lineups. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit more. But first, I want to take a quick break tight. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year. We're here in 2022. And we march to the playoffs. We both, well, college has their playoff coming up, you know, pretty much ending Monday. You have football playoffs coming up. Of course, you'll have NCAA later on the line, NBA playoffs way further down the line. All that stuff. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best sport wagering action for 2022. It's a new year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up with today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit. We'll tell you all the time, CLNS50 to get started. That's the promo code from football to basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your Vegas uh, favorite Vegas casino games. So we take advantage of all the amazing offers for 2022 um, as we do every single week on this particular show, I like to give a couple of lines out there that I like. Now, this week here in the NFL, a little bit more difficult because, you know, we don't know who's playing who in terms of, you know, guys that are in and out. Like, as an example, Joe Burrow is not going to play for the Bengals this weekend, uh, trying to save him for the playoffs. Smart thing. He's hurt. You don't want to get him hurt even further. Obviously, the, the, the Bengals playoff hopes rest short, like pretty much on the shoulders of Joe Burrow and how far he might carry them. So it's hard to kind of fathom where things are going to line up. I like the Patriots minus six already. I know it's a tough one. It's in, it's in Miami. Um, but I think this particular Patriots team a little bit will be a little bit more amped up for this game as they realize they need it, you know, maybe potentially for seeding. Um, but this week is tough. Like the Saints minus three and a half is the one that I like over the Falcons. Saints have to win to get in. That's what I'm targeting. Teams that are that need to win to get into the playoffs. Saints minus three and a half. It's an easy line. I know their quarterback situation is always up in the air. It's not the most ideal one, but the spread is low. Uh, I don't mind that at all. And of course, the big game: Raiders and Chargers on Mon- on Sunday. Uh, Raiders are plus three at home. Chargers minus three. Now it would be very Chargers to lose this game. I think I would take the Raiders money line plus one thirty nine. Best value there. I think, again, they have to win to stay in. I like the Raiders in that game over the Chargers. And, again, I like the Saints uh, minus three and a half uh, against the Falcons, again, in uh, in Atlanta. Those are my two favorites this weekend. Just a heads up, you know, fade me, basically, the whole year. Just don't believe me, but I'm doing my best over here. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. It's betonline.ag where the game starts. Again, CLNS 5-0 to get started today for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Evan Valenti, Chris Grennan from Forbes, got to be rock bomb to the Celtics, 108-105. R.J. Barrett buries a game winner at MSG. Great crowd. I'll tell you that last night. Crowd was electric. Uh, and he had, he had Julius Randle. Thought everybody shut up, which I'm sure will go over very well uh, in the New York market. I'm sure that will go over very well. Uh, but uh, Boston, again, continue to find rock bottom. And before we went into the break, Chris is talking about rotations, and this is, I mean, 100% correct. If you're a team, and it's not like, to me, Chris, like it's not like that's the best defensive unit you can have on the floor at that time. Like you have to have Jalen and Jason understand Marcus is one of your best you know, defensive players, no question. And then you have Rob, who had an amazing night last night, seven blocks, altered a bunch of shots. He was incredible. But in, in this gets to like e quote after the game, and we'll get into e stuff later. 
Um, but he said something after the game about sometimes our best defensive lineup isn't our best shooting lineup. Well, I would argue that having Dennis Schroeder on the floor is neither your best shooting lineup nor your best defensive lineup, especially when, as you said before, Josh Richardson, who's been shooting the ball extremely well lately, is a switchable defender. Is he the best defender of the team? No, but he's at least a body that can do some decent work on wing players and smaller guards. He's on the bench. Grant Williams on the bench. Like, these things don't make sense. We have enough evidence at this point that suggests that Dennis Schroeder is not an end of the game player. And if you go back, you know, all the way back to his time with Oklahoma City, if you go back to his time with the Lakers, like a lot of those fans will tell you, like Dennis in the, the games, like isn't going to work. I just, how do we get through to email? Like, how do we tell him, like you can't play? I mean, regu- as you said, regulating Marcus Smart to shooting guard is the worst possible thing you could possibly do because you're just standing there. And we all know Marcus, like, if he's not involved with the play, he's just going to, you know, shoot the basketball. So I, 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 there's a lot of things that Ime said last night. And again, we'll get into a few of them in a second. That I like, I'm like, are you listening to yourself? Are you listening to the words coming out of your mouth? Because if you are, you should take what you're saying, you should take your own advice. Because last night you didn't have either of those guys on the floor, and those lineups were a disaster. Boston got cooked routinely last night. And if if you're trying to move forward from this loss, because you have the Knicks again on Saturday, quick turnaround, like you have to know immediately, like, okay, Dennis, is just, this, isn't, this isn't working anymore. We have to move on. I, at this point, if, if I see Dennis at the end of a game and he's not like 11 for 11 from the floor, I'm just going to lose my mind and throw my television out the window. <laughs> Yeah, I found some of those answers to be really weird, to be honest. Like like you said, sorry, but I just don't see Dennis Schroeder maximizing the defense against a Knicks lineup with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle in it. Like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And him talking about the shooting, the, his quote was, across the board, I think we haven't had the best shooting year. So regardless of who we have handling out there, it's not always going to be the best shooters on the floor. When you have Grant Williams and Josh Richardson sitting right on the bench, you can run Marcus Smart as your point guard. There's there's very obvious solutions to that, or at least tweaks that you can work toward, right? That doesn't make any sense. That's just a very odd answer. I, I really, I don't get that at all. And again, this doesn't solely fall on Ime Odoka, right? But some of the things that, he's doing in terms of like putting Dennis Schroeder out there in a closing lineup that will kind of snowball because that in turn impacts Jalen Brown impacts Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown last night seemed to be in some weird fog after the first quarter. I don't know what was going on there. He just seemed off and I really don't have an answer for that, but it does snowball, right? It takes away spacing for those guys. It takes away driving lanes for a guy like Jason Tatum last night, who was having a fantastic second half. So that stuff does snowball, but I just, I don't really understand some of those answers and maybe you'll see something different against that same big Knicks lineup come Saturday night, but the quotes were odd. The decisions were even weirder. And I know the Celtics aren't a great shooting team, but they can be a better shooting team than that closing lineup was last night. And I'm not really sure where they go from here because again, there's a lot of issues on the court as well. There's only so much you can do as a coach, but I don't think Ime is is hitting that ceiling of how much he can do as a as a coach, if you know what I mean. I know that Brad is going to be this hands-off, like, you know, try and take a approach of, like, I, look, you know, I let the coach do the coaching. I'm the, the president of basketball operations. My job is to improve the team any way I can see fit. You know, Ime is the coach on the floor doing all this stuff. I'm up here keep things separate. I think that's a good thing to have. You don't want a, a GM or a Pobo breathing down your neck all the time about stuff. Like you don't want an owner interacting. Like I always have this saying, the less you know about an owner, the better. That means the owner is just your hands off. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm letting, uh, I'm letting, you know, the, 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 everybody figure their stuff out. I hire people for a reason. You know, I, I don't need to do all this stuff, but at some point, like Chris, is ready to get involved here and say like, Hey, like, look, let's sit down. Like, cause look, he a first time head coach. Okay. Again, I am I beat the drum so loudly for Ime in the offseason that I'm obviously not giving up on Ime at this particular point. Okay. I know people are up off the bandwagon. People wanted to fire Brad last year, and I thought that was ridiculous. I think people that are trying to call for Ime's job right now are also ridiculous. Okay. But at some point, Brad's got to like be like, okay, look, I understand there are first year head coaching issues. Let's 
talk about what you're going through, what I'm seeing, and maybe we can cl- like that's what Brand's got to step in at some point, Chris, to at least just give Ime a, a, a helping hand here. Again, Brad, the beauty of the fact that Brad got elevated is the fact that Brad knows his team better than anybody else, and he's been a head coach. So, like, it's kind of the perfect guy to kind of have Ime come into his office and say, hey, like, look, I know it's frustrating. Here are some things that I think we could, we could try. Like, is uh, does that conversation happen? But I think it needs to happen. Does it actually happen? I don't know, Chris. I think Brad's got to step in a little bit here. I If I know Brad and being around him over the last couple of yeah. years and, and kind of getting a sense of his tendencies, I would be pretty surprised if that happened unless Ime Odoka comes to him proactively and says, hey, you got to help me out here, which yeah, but as, a, I, as if you're Brad, like, don't you have to be proactive too? Like this is I think, your I, team too. I think you have to be proactive in what you're doing with the roster and what you're doing with the players around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, because it's very obvious that this roster is not maximizing those two guys, but I just don't see Brad as the kind of GM to go forth and kind of insert himself back toward the coaching realm. Again, if Ime Odoka were to approach him, I'm sure Brad would be super willing to lend a hand and like kind of help him through this first year. And who knows? Again, with COVID and stuff, we're not inside the locker room like we once were. We're not around the team as much as we once were. But I just have a hard time seeing Brad, you know, stepping on his toes. I think he's going to let Ime kind of work through this himself. And I have a feeling Ime is going to want to work through it himself. Again, it's not working to this point. We're about halfway through the year. I am fine with giving a first-year head coach a long leash because you've seen it time and time again. Sometimes it takes a while, but the lack of in-game adjustments is super concerning. I just don't see Brad stepping in like that from a coaching realm. On the trade front, Brad's got to make some moves, some tweaks come the trade deadline. Like You're not going to see a major overhaul of a roster midseason unless you're GM is LeBron when he can just move his chess pieces around and completely retool a roster. That kind of thing isn't going to happen midseason. So I think the Brad conversation for the next month or so is what are the tweaks that he is going to make around Jalen and around Jason? Because that's got to be the next step. Again, you're not at a point where you trade Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum and you're right. not at that point this offseason, but you are at a point where you need to maximize the roster around those guys because the clock is ticking and you need to maximize their skill sets. They're two incredible talents. So I think that is the conversation with Brad more so than him inserting himself into the coaching thing. But I totally get what you're saying. Like he's a great guy to have up there because he's been right. through it. Perfect but guy. I, I just, yeah. It's it's like, and I, I want to get into the, the Jalen and Jason stuff a little bit later on in the show, because, you know, again, everybody, there's responsibility flows all the way down up the roster here and it goes into the front office and all that stuff. But I do want to focus solely on Ime here for a second. And again, I'm giving Ime, you know, I, I'm giving him a long leash. Like it's his first time doing this thing. Like, and, it, and this is a team that has had a lot of COVID issues, a lot of continuity issues over the years uh, because of injuries and COVID and everything. And so, I, like, it is a frustrating roster to manage just because of all the the COVID ins and outs. But like, dude, everybody else is also dealing with this stuff. It's not like the Minnesota Timberwolves the other night weren't they. they <laughs> That roster was a complete joke. Now, I know the Celtics didn't have a lot of guys either, but, like, Minnesota, the quote of the night was Greg Monroe saying, like, yeah, I haven't seen this. I've never even heard of this guy. I've never met this guy. He had, like, 20 points last night. Like, that's that's kind of some of the stuff that happens. But, like, Ime, like, his press conference last night, we've got a dance strategy, so let's just get into it now. Ime's press conference last night was an absolute train wreck. It was a disaster. I'm not jumping shit, but that was a flaming dumpster fire of a press conference because he took no accountability for anything, and he basically just said all the stuff that we're begging him to do. Like he first off, he goes, "This team's not tough enough." Like I agree with that. We have all we've had this conversation. I don't know how many times after games, but like, dude, you have to run your team over with the bus every single press conference they lose a game. Like I like. I mean, at some point, like, I understand that you're getting sick of saying it, but, like, you don't have to run this team over every single press conference. Another one I love, quote, either we're going to make some adjustments, and that's just the first part of the quote. Like, Ime, part of the thing that you do as a head coach is make adjustments. 
Like, I understand players in the floor have to make adjustments to how certain guys are shooting. Like, okay, he's shooting really well, so I got to get in his airspace a little bit more. Or, oh, he's driving to the left a little bit. I got to take away his left hand a little bit more. Like, oh, like I understand players have to make on-floor adjustments all the time. This is a free-flowing game when it's at its peak. You have to – but, like, the head coach has to make adjustments. Like, what – if you can't sit there and say, like, you know – either we have to make some adjustments or we're going to keep sucking. Like and you, the next sentence out of your mouth is that that has to start with me. And if that's not the case, like, I don't know what we're doing here. Like Ime, the whole press conference last night was so strange. And every quote he threw out was like, yeah, don't, are you listening to yourself? Like could it have gone any poorer for Ime last night? Like, I, I, did he say anything noteworthy to you? That was like a positive thing. Cause everything he said last night to me was negative. I get that Ime Udoka has taken on the role of being that hard-nosed tough coach, right? He's being a hard ass all the time. And the players, the players received this well, right? They, no player has said, Oh, I hate whatever they say. No, that's what they say. They say they receive it well. Oh, we take good coach. We do, but like, where's the proof that this is actually working? Well, so, well, so that it's, it's not working on the court, but they, they receive it well. So he just keeps running back the, the tough act, but. Over the course of all of these press conferences and all of these tough losses, there really is a lack of, and who cares if it's real or not? At some point as a head coach, you are the face of that team to a point. And so you got to put some accountability out there after some of these losses. And there really has been none of that. The, the by far strangest quote after the game last night was on it, it was some of these answers were unintentionally hilarious. And I don't mean that in like, I love watching the Celtics lose. I mean it in like, this can't be real. Like this is insane. He said, I'll just read the full one. He said, repetitive result that's happening. Either we're going to make some adjustments and get tired of it, or it's going to keep happening. Message was short and sweet. Wasn't about the last play again. It was about everything leading up to it. We need some leadership, somebody that can calm us down and not get rattled when everything starts to go a little south. And I think it snowballs between our guys step up or do I have to stop all of our momentum and pace and call a play? So that's what I said to them. Is he threatening to do his job? Is he threatening to call the play? Like it, it was very weird listening to that. And again, I get a coach can only do so much. The guys have to execute out on the floor, but Ime Odoka is not putting his players right now. And especially last night against the Knicks in a position to really succeed down the stretch the Celtics aren't putting themselves in a position to succeed as well. Like this isn't just on Ime. They run a horrifically stagnant offense in tight fourth quarters, but there's a lack of sets being run from Ime's end. And I agree. I thought the answers were really, really weird. Maybe he's starting to realize the snowball and he was just kind of panicked and, and whatever that's possible. But there were some very weird answers after the game last night. And that was, uh, it was interesting. I, I think basically saying, you know, am I going to have to stop and call a play? That's, that's a weird one. Uh, yeah. That's, weird one. that's kind of your job. It's to, yeah. it's to try to like steer the ship. Like you're not on the floor, but you can still help guide this thing into port. Basically. This is not. Like if you like... want Jalen, if you want Jalen and Jason to be better playmakers, that's fine. And they need to do a better job of getting their teammates involved and becoming better playmakers. But you also need to help them, and you also need to put them in better spots. And right now, he's just not doing that. Yeah, like the, the, him defending like the last play of the game, where it's like, yeah, Tatum took the shot, but you know it sets up Dennis over here and this whatever. I'm like, first off, if you think anybody else but Jason Tatum is taking that shot, you're crazy. We've seen this a million times. Jason always wants to take the last shot, and I like that. I like a guy that wants to the ball in his hands with the with the, with the game on the line. Um, and he hit an incredibly tough shot, and I love the reaction of the two guys that were sitting courtside when he hit it. And like, he was ba- he basically hit it like right next to him. And these two guys are like, Oh, okay. That was, that was a cold shot. And I was like, yeah, that was awesome. But then the other end, like defensively, you know, good shot to RJ Barrett, but like the one thing that email, like he also points out, like it wasn't about the final play. It was about everything that led to the final play. Again, use that's correct. It is not incorrect. Like it is about everything else that led to that. Right. It wasn't just about like the game wasn't lost on RJ Barrett's three. The game was lost between again, that five minute 
stretch at the end of the third quarter and the two minutes into the fourth quarter where the game went from 20 points to two. That's where the game was lost, right there. And at some point in that mix, Chris, you have to find a way. And again, I don't know if it's saying something to somebody, it's putting different guys on the floor, but like that, like that falls on the shoulders of the coach at the end of the day. Like I know guys are out there playing, but like you have to say that this isn't working. Whatever we're doing is not working. We have to do something different. Press them. You know, do, do traps. Try and get easy baskets by turning up your defense and trying to get in transition more. Uh, you know, maybe run a zone. Like, do something different. And Ime just continues to do the same stuff all the time at the end of games, and it's not working. Again, it, it's it, part of this. If it's repetition, uh, it, you know, it's either going to change or it doesn't. Like, again, part of that has to fall on you as the head coach. And the lack of of any like blame at all is killing me this morning. Yeah, I mean. I keep coming back to it, but there's just some puzzling decisions last night in the stretch leading up to that final play that he talked about. You run a short bench again on the second night of a back-to-back, and with that short bench, you remove two of the guys who have been two of your better shooters when your roster doesn't have any shooting, and you need shooting to maximize the spacing around your two stars, but you run a short bench on the second night of a back-to-back, and then down the stretch, you choose to play two non-shooting point guards. What? Like, I that doesn't make any sense to me at all. So puzzling decisions, a puzzling lack of accountability. And the Celtics players are taking plenty of accountability, which they should, because they're not executing. But it is a weird lack of accountability on the coach's end. I mean, again, everyone is different in the way they respond to these kind of things at the podium. But just, just very, very weird. And I mean – you would think they would throw some sort of tweaks. And he puts, but he's putting his players in a very awkward position. Like last night was awkward. Like Tatum after the game was awkward. Rob Williams after the game, like it was all really awkward. And I think, I think Ime is not doing like the thing about Brad. And like, I, again, I was, I think anybody that wanted Brad fired was crazy. I was like, this is not a Brad problem. I promise you. Like I've watched Brad for years be a grand coach. This is not Brad's fault. But, like, Brad wouldn't do this to his team repeatedly. And I understand if you're Emay trying to, like, toughen up your team. But at some point, like, you have to stop putting your players in awkward situations. Like, look at Bill Belichick, right? I don't mean to, like, make this a Patriots thing. But look at Bill Belichick and how he handles the media. He doesn't put his players in awkward situations, right? He overdoes it with guys. Like, his treatment of Mac Jones right now, where Mac Jones doesn't have a freaking cell phone for the entire week, like, that's putting your – that's putting Mac – in a position to succeed with the media, taking a lot of things off his shoulders so we can focus more on football. Like that's a, a great example of how to help out your how to help out your players. Ime routinely does not do that. And to be honest, when it when I think of the issues here with Ime, it's the late game execution and it's the in game stuff to a point. Yeah, the media stuff is weird and the answers are weird, and I know the players read the answers and players. They're on the internet. They read the tweets, whatever. But the late game execution stuff is far more concerning to me than some of these bizarre answers and lack of accountability type things that he has going post game. I agree. It's certainly an issue. And the players see that stuff and they probably aren't crazy about it at times, but I, I can't get away from the in game stuff that is really, really mind boggling to use an email doka term mind boggling in games, like very odd and. Tatum and Brown aren't doing the best job that they probably can't like they're trying their best, but they're not doing the best job to become the playmakers that this coaching staff wants them to be, but they're not being put in a very advantageous position to do so. And it's not solely on them. It's not solely on Ime, but it is a horrific mix right now of people really not doing the best job that they can. Which drives, me fast, but it's not that good. <laughs> what drives me crazy is he's, you know, a disciple of the pop coaching tree. And like pop is like super famous for trying a bunch of weird things to shake up lineups, to get guys to, to react certain ways. And like, we just don't see that with email. Now, like, again, part of that's going to be like this COVID thing. It's got everybody in and out of the lineup. Like it's hard. I understand that. But like, you would think having a front row seat 
to one of the best coaches. Like, it feels very similar to the Belichick coaching tree here where you leave the Patriots and all of a sudden, like, everything's – like, Joe Judge right now being the prime example of this. Like, you would think, like, having a front-row seat to having this amazing head coach and having his ear every single day and then working with him in the – like, hit, watching him interact with people. Like, you would have, like, the best version of this. And it seems like E-May, like, just doesn't quite have that right now. Well, I just have a hard time last night in the second half, when the second half finished, when the game ended, Jason Tatum in the second half was seven of 13. He had 21 points and the rest of the team was was and the rest of the team had 21 points and was seven of 23. At some point you have to say, Oh boy, our star player is by himself out there, right? Jalen Brown is just kind of floating around out there. He's not, he's not inserting himself into this offense. Nothing else is happening outside of Jason Tatum. Maybe I should throw in some more Grant Williams minutes. Maybe I should throw in some more Josh Richardson minutes. Maybe let's try some of the lineups that were going well in the first half. Like there's a lack of like adjustments on your feet and in-game adjustments that are really, really mind-blowing to me. And like in the Spurs game, for example, they run a couple plays early in the game where Jalen Brown is the role man and it works perfectly. And then they never go back to it. So as much as I say, well, the players forget what went well in the first half and they don't go back to it in the second half, same goes for the coaches because they see things that go well in the first half and they just haven't gone back to it. And coaching in an NBA game is not easy. I'm not saying I'm smarter than Ime Odoka. He sees so many things that I do not see. And there are reasons he is doing the things he is doing. He's not an idiot, but there are things that he should really consider going back to because they run good things early in the game and then they just never go back to them. So I think that falls on the players for not falling back on some of the things that went well. And it falls on the coaches too. Uh, we will move off killing email. I mean, I think we've, we've, you know, killed that enough. And before we move on, though, I want to talk, call an audible here and I want to talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts premier cannabis dispensary, INSA, I-N-S-A, baby, INSA. They're the premier cause uh, the, the premier uh, dispensary in the entire area because the founders, Penn Pete, they re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it. While never forgetting, it's for everyone and everyone needs different stuff. Into dispensaries are inviting and modern. So come in, just learn of the, more about what the products are. I did so. I went to the one uh, in East Hampton. I think it was East Hampton. Uh, and had an, an excellent time. Uh, just learning about all the different you know services they offer. I mean, seriously, if you have any questions about that, they have so many people that are experts. The staff are authorities in the science that will answer every single question you possibly have, from differences between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia and anxiety or just hanging with friends. You want to just hang out. Bill Walton, maybe. Insa has a world-class head chef as well and only hires the most respected growers who have perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit one last thing the insta founders aren't vc guys from silicon valley but lifelong pals from springfield another home team to root for insa in salem east hampton boston delivery and two springfield locations including just off i-91 besides the mgm casino so before you go to the casino maybe stop at insa you maybe have a full night so to speak mention we said uh, to stop by and get a sweet t-shirt like this one right here. Check this bad boy out. This thing's awesome. Uh, this sweet T-shirt for just a penny. Go to Insta.com or call 877-500-INSA. Again, Insta.com, 877-500-INSA. Or stop by in Salem, East Hampton, Boston, and Springfield. Mention we sent you and get a sick T-shirt. Evan Valenti alongside Chris Granham of Forbes. Ugh. Trying to detox after last night's absolute debacle of a basketball game, losing to the next 108, 105. So what I would like to do is stop talking about that because I'm going to drive myself crazy. I think our audience at this point, Chris, has heard enough about how terrible last night was. But I do want to move on to a topic that seems to be getting a lot of traction kind of everywhere right now. And it's been like the most common thing that anybody wants to talk about for the past, I don't know, it's been years, but like right now, like it's just the, the heat is ratcheted way up on this particular topic. And it's Jalen and Jason and, and what to do with these two guys. Okay. I think we can all admit last night was probably a perfect microcosm of it. The Celtics have not surrounded the Jays with the right team. Okay. They have not. Now, before we get going, I am so anti trade Jalen or anti trade Jason. Like, I, I am not, like, don't even bring that to my attention. 
I'm not trading either one of those guys, right? No way. I, I love both of them. They are great players. This is a ridiculous problem that Boston has. They can't find a way to surround these two guys with the right team. I think, Chris, we have plenty of evidence at this point that suggests that Boston has not done the right thing to surround these guys with the right talent. And I know people are out there like, well, you know, this is a rebuilding year. The Pats did it, right? They rebuilt. Now they're back in the playoffs. Everything's good. Not going to be that easy. Everybody's sitting, oh, just wait for Bradley Beal in the offseason. It's going to be fine. Wouldn't bank on that, guys. So as we sit here today, and we're going to take the ridiculous assumption that Bradley Beal is coming in the offseason, because I think that's insane. I think you guys are ridiculous. What? How does Boston surround Jalen and Jason with the best team possible for them? Because – it's driving me crazy that Boston can't find a way to win games with these two guys that are in the, what, top 10 in the league in scoring, right? What are they, seven and eight? Like, you can't surround they two were. guys that score yeah. 50 points game with the right talent to win basketball games? It feels crazy to me. Yeah, the idea of just blowing up, trade one of them, that makes – Please stop. That makes no sense at all. There's if, a reason why, like, like, all these executives want them to do that because it makes their life easier. And it's like, oh, we have to play for both guys. We only play for one. Like, have both of them. It's way better. Sorry to interrupt. You, you no, I mean, you're right. You put one of those guys on the trade market, easily, easily, easily becomes the best player available on the trade market. That should tell you something. Like, maybe we shouldn't be moving on from these guys just yet. And you shouldn't at all. If you're Brad Stevens, you're the Celtics front office, you need to exhaust all options you have around these guys before you look into actually moving one of them, right? Because they're two all-NBA caliber wings. The NBA is centered around wings. These are two pieces that any team in the NBA would be dying to have. The team around them, it's not good. And it wasn't good last year. And it got slightly better on paper this year. But it's actually been, in my opinion, slightly worse. Because there's just there's no there's no shooting at all. So Brad, it's it's tough because entering this past offseason, Brad Stevens had very little to work with. And he was able to flip Kemba Walker for Al Horford. And he was able like whatever. He, he I think he did more than I expected with very little, right? He it was it was kind of impressive on paper, but it just hasn't panned out. And that's fine. But I totally agree with you. Don't hold your breath for Zach Levine. Don't hold your breath for Bradley Beal. One Zach Levine's Why not would coming. Zach Levine leave yeah. Chicago's exactly. amazing? Right. Zach Levine's not coming. All right. Sorry to burst your bubble. He's not coming. And two, you're hearing this from a Wizards fan. Bradley Beal is not good right now. He is so unappealing as an option for this team at the moment because I have watched every Wizards game this year, and he just has not been very good at all. So I can tell you that those are pipe dreams at the moment for a variety of reasons. But – you need to do your best to maximize the players around them and you need shooting because you see what happens when there's no spacing and no shooting on the floor, right? You take away some of the, you take away passing lanes, you take away driving lanes, you take away a variety of things that help to maximize their skill sets and it just immediately lets them revert back to old habits. It's very easy for them to revert back to old habits when they're out there with no shooters whatsoever. And it makes it so easy for opponents to load up on both of them because they don't have to worry about the additional players on the floor. They don't have to worry about the rest of the perimeter because you have Marcus Smart out there who's shooting 29% or Al Horford who's just been abysmal from three this year. Like, it's really, really bad. So come this offseason, again, you can make some tweaks at the trade deadline, but you're not going to get an overhaul in the middle of the season come next month. You're just not going to. You need to make some tweaks. In my opinion, you need to trade Dennis Schroeder. You got to get something for him before he walks this offseason. And then use those minutes for Peyton Pritchard and Romeo Langford. Like a much better use of those minutes from a development standpoint, in my opinion. I think that's a absolute no-brainer. So say you move on from Dennis Schroeder, then come the offseason, you make greater moves. You try to make a few trades and you kind of try to really shake up the roster. I would say Anyone is available outside of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I think that really needs to be the case because every time you enter a season running in the same circle they have been in for the last two years, you move closer to the end of Jalen and Jason's contract. And if you lose just one of them for nothing 
at the end of their contract, it is a nightmare scenario. You need to make it appealing for them to stay one and you need to make it so you can actually say, all right, we gave it our best shot with those two guys and we gave them a good roster around them. And right now eh, that has not been the case in the last two years at all. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I agree with a lot of that. I guess my question revolves, I guess I want to like shift a little bit. How many guys on the Celtics right now are actually capable of maximizing the play of their two-star wings? Right. I think Rob makes a lot of sense for this yep. team. Right. Al's had a tough time and, and you know, Al at the beginning part of the season was incredible and has tapered off a little bit. I think maybe we all sort of saw that coming, but we wanted to believe in Al Horford because I think we all kind of just really like watching Al Horford play. And he's just a nice guy. And, you know, we have a long history with him, but like how many players currently on their roster right now are actually going to enhance Jalen and Jason. Like I think Rob is one of them with the way he can pass his big and way his gravity as he comes off a pick and rolls to the basket as a lob threat. I think that's great. You know, it gives them a little bit of different looks all over the place. Defensively, he covers up for a lot, but like, I mean, I love smart, like don't get me wrong, but it's smart. The best guy for this team. I think there's only a few players currently on the team that actually help this team. I like Grant. I'd like to hang on him if it's possible. I think he plays defensively very well. I think his newfound shot's nice. But, like, the only other guy that I'm like, this guy makes sense with this team is currently not available to play because he's in health and safety protocol, and that's Payne Pritchard. Like, the fact that he can run an offense, but, like, when you want the ball in Jason's hands or in Jalen's hands, because I think Jason – really this year has done a great job trying to become more of a facilitator. I think a lot of people get on him for stuff. I think it's a little ridiculous considering the team he has around him. Like, oh, he doesn't average seven assists a game. Well, look, look who he's passing the ball to, okay? He's passing the ball to Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Smart, uh, Grant Williams, Al. Like, this is like a, this is not the Warriors here. This is not a, a three-point shooting team. It's a really pathetic one right now. I think Pritchard's like the only guy, again, we talk about gravity with Rob, has gravity where he sits around the three-point line, like he has great range and is a great shooter when he has good rhythm. And they haven't got him any good rhythm because he hasn't got any run this year. So my question to you, Chris, is how many guys on the roster right now actually fit what the Jays need to succeed? Because I don't think it's a big number. I think it's a pretty small number, and I think the evidence is very clear from this year and last year. I think it's pretty obvious that not a whole lot. I agree with you with Rob. I think Rob is a really – great young player who if he can stay healthy is really great for this roster. And I think they desperately need to try to hang on to, he's going to quickly turn into one of their best trade pieces, your best trade asset. So who knows what'll happen, but I definitely agree there. When you talk about Pritchard, that skill set is what maximizes Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. It's been proven. If you have versatile shooters around them, it does a variety of things for their game to raise their ceiling. Like you need guys who can, the spacing is so key. Like I keep coming back to that. These rosters have zero spacing and guys like Pritchard, who ideally a little bit bigger than Pritchard are those versatile shooters. Like that's the kind of guy you need around Jalen Brown and around Jason Tatum to maximize their skill sets, to give them the spacing they need to really raise that ceiling. Pritchard is a great guy to have off the bench. He's not going to get into the teeth of a defense like a guy like Dennis Schroeder is, but you see what happens when you have a guy that gets into the teeth of a defense on his own. That doesn't help Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Like that's not really what you're looking for. You know what I mean? So I totally agree. Marcus Smart, he has been really good over the last month and he is a good point guard. I don't think he's being put in advantageous positions for him to maximize himself at all either. You quickly turn him into a shooting guard in some of these lineups and he's going to play like a shooting guard. That's just the way it is. He's not a great shooting guard. He is a pretty good point guard. I like him as this team's point guard. So I think if you can find a way to keep him as that point guard, then there's something to be said about him having some gravity here with this roster. But it's a small number. I I definitely agree it's a small number, and I stick with the fact that I think everyone outside of Jalen and Jason needs to be available come this offseason. It's just ridiculous. And, like, at some point, do we have a conversation about – the front office and the people are in the front office. Cause like, I like everybody's making a big deal about the Desmond Bain thing. And like, we all knew at the time this was going to be just like, 
everybody saw it coming. Like Desmond Bain's going to be good because Boston drafted him only to trade him to, to Memphis to get off a contract, right? Like we all saw this coming, and and everybody in their like everybody loved Desmond Bain pre-draft. Like the internet is really right about something, but like it seems like the internet was right on Desmond Bain. And good for the, the Grizzlies are awesome; they're fun to watch. Happy for them. Like don't get me wrong, but like that one hurts. Letting him go. Here's another one that's even more recent than that. Garrison Matthews was on the team. He was there. He was right there. He, and like you were preaching to the choir about the Garrison pre- Matthews. Like, and somebody was a Wizards fan who watched it. <laughs> like, like he was on the team, and he had a bad preseason, right? Because he didn't have a lot of rhythm, and they had other younger guys that wanted. But like Garrison Matthews is exactly the guy that you want. Like he's exactly the guy. Like a stand in the corner three. Like I, and I. Uh, I can't swear in this podcast. I don't. I don't <laughs> care. Like if his defensive chops like aren't great, as we already have talked about with eBay. Like we know the best defensive lineup is, is is not the best shooting lineup. But like at this point, you're so desperate for shooting. Like who cares about defense? Like Garrison Matthews. Ah, uh, that one hurts a lot. Like I'm so. I want Sam Hauser to play because it's like at some point, like I know that guy can shoot threes. Like whether he's he's not going to be a defensive you know, a genius. He's not going to be uh, a guy that's a lockdown defender. I know that, but like he might help with floor space and help your offense not look terrible. Okay. At some point, do, do we have to ask like, are the right people? What happened with the, the, they were looking into Landry fields to come in from Atlanta. Now I don't know what, like that was a story and then it w- went away. Like it just died. So do they have to look somewhere else to bring other eyes in so they can figure out exactly the talent need to get? to surround the Jays because, like, again, it's either – again, trading Marcus Smart is something you don't want to do, but of all the guys that you want that, – that that are not named Jalen Brown, like, he might have the most value because what he brings to a team. And, like, as much as it will absolutely kill me to trade him because I love him, that might – at some point, like, that is going to probably be the possibility to get actual talent in the, in the door. I like that angle. We should jump on the angle of the second the Celtics screwed up by not bringing Landry Fields in. That's when everything went south. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm down. But like I'm everybody talks about how good of a good of a young like front office guy he is. Of course, I love you know uh, he, he had a he had a couple of good runs with the Knicks. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, he had a, some good runs with the Knicks. Uh, good three point shooter, right? Um, and has one of the best, if not the best, Models commercial of all time. Um, <laughs> but like. They have the same like brain trust kind of, and yeah. it seems to me that like they're just not pulling the right triggers. And that could be a cap thing, but but like the ta- like again, Garrison Matthews was in your building, was yeah. in the building, and they let him. You are, you are preaching to the choir about Garrison Matthews. Like I I wrote about it, I podcast about it. He made so much more sense than Jabari Parker for that final roster spot. Instead, they only offered him a two way deal. And he said, no, thanks. And now he's contributing in Houston. The one thing I do come back to with Garrison Matthews is that if they had kept him around, I don't think he'd be getting any minutes because you see these short, short benches that Ime is running during some of these stretches that I don't agree with because if you're in desperate need of shooting, throw Sam Hauser out there for a few minutes, throw a hypothetical Garrison Matthews out there for a little bit. Like it would make sense, but I think I would be ripping my hair out if Garrison Matthews is on this team because I don't think he would be touching the floor as frustrating that's as fair. it is. I, I just think that's the way it is. But I totally agree with you. Like, I think that was an awful decision. And I think it makes no sense. I, I think there's a, an element of the Brad school of thought in this front office where, like, let's stick with the vets. Let's go get a guy like Jabari, keep him in there. What does Jabari Parker do for this roster? Nothing. Like, like, what does he do? Sure, he'll give you a couple microwave minutes every two weeks. That's great. That doesn't do a thing. Like, it's I don't understand keeping him over a versatile shooter. You're not making decisions at the beginning of the year to maximize your two best players. And come a halfway point of the season, you're not maximizing your two best players. It, it's correlated. It makes sense. So I agree. I don't think there was a lot of great decisions being made. Again, it was a weird off season with not a whole lot of flexibility. So I'll be very curious to see what they do this coming off season, because I think that will be the more telling one in terms of how Brad is going to be as a GM and kind of how he's going to go about trying to, trying to utilize these guys around Jason and Jalen, because it has not been good. Just tank at this point, 
just tank, try and get Paolo. Let's get it over with, you know? Hey, like, uh, Jaden Ivey is awesome. Uh, Tom right. Westerholm and I have been yelling it for the rooftops. Jaden Ivey is great. I think there's a lot of use in, in tanking at this point, but it'll never happen. Yeah, Jabari Smith, you know, Chet. Oh, yeah. Paolo, I love Paolo. Paolo's like my dude. But Paolo's fun. I haven't seen I haven't seen a lot of Jabari Smith yet. Everybody's been talking about him. I got to do some work on that. Jabari Smith is the clear cut number one in my brain right now. He is impressive. Well, we have gone way too long at this point. I've kept him for far too long. But I want to thank my my buddy Chris Gretham here. He is the best uh, for joining me here on on such short notice. Uh, He is a guy that you can follow on Twitter. Give out your Twitter handle there, Chris. Yeah, just at Chris Grunham, and you can find my stuff on Forbes and uh, and everything on my on Twitter page. So just yep. at Chris Grunham. Yep, that, good. Go there. He put out an article this morning about the game last night. I read it really quickly um, just to scan to make sure I, I didn't miss anything that he wrote last time. But make sure you catch him. You're on a podcast, Geno Time Podcast. Right, with Geno Tom. Time Podcast with Tom yep. Westerholm and Nicole Yang. Yep. Shout out to Adam. Adam, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, happy to fill in for him, obviously, this week. He'll be back with me next week. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, shout out to INSA. Again, that's INSA, my, one of my sponsors for today. Again, drop by any INSA location. Go to INSA.com. Uh, you can call INSA. I think it's 800-577-INSA or 877-500-INSA. Mention that we sent you. They'll give you a free T-shirt for a penny. And, of course, betonline.ag. CLNS50 for that 50% uh, sign-up bonus when you log in. Okay, there's that. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher. Subscribe to our uh, CLNS Media YouTube page. But for Adam, I'm Evan. Thanks a lot, guys. See you later.